We're going to be looking back into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we've gone through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Um, we kind of worked our way through that. And now we're going to do 15 through 23. Now, in chapter 1, verse 3 to 14 was one lo- big, long sentence. You guys remember that? Verse uh, 3 to verse 14 was in the original, in the Greek. It's one big, long sentence. And so we have it divided up into separate sentences in our Bibles, but Paul wrote it as one big, long sentence. And for him, that wasn't improper Greek grammar. That was acceptable. There was a way that they could write that way, and it wasn't improper to do that. Well, guess what? Verse 15 to verse 23 is also one big, long sentence. And this is almost very different from how uh, Paul normally writes. But in this, in Ephesians, he kind of, you might say he waxes eloquent. In Ephesians, he kind of carries on. And so this whole first part is kind of a praise to God. And so he's doing this, right? Well, verse 15 to 23, we're going to read it. And uh, then we'll, we'll talk about that first verse. Uh, it says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So there's a lot there. So we're going to work our way through that over the next couple months. Uh, But now, let me ask you a question. Who remembers, what was the theme? I remember I had a slide with a picture. And and what was the theme for that first part of chapter 1? Anybody remember? How big is your view of God? Remember that? I had a slide. In fact, the picture I had was a picture from... The city, the modern city of Ephesus, and it was a, an amphitheater that was around during Paul's time. And so I had this amphitheater, and I had, how big is your view of God? And, and the reason why I have it is because the first part of chapter 1, Paul just kind of talks about who God is and what he's done. In fact, it's all about what God has done, right? Well, for the second part of this first chapter, Paul kind of focuses in on the church, and he builds up. Everything kind of builds up where he gets to the very end of this. And he says he put all things under his feet and gave him his head. It's talking about Jesus uh, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now think about that for a second. The church, Paul says, is the body of Christ. And it, it, it's the fullness of Christ, basically, is what he's saying. Now, let me give you the theme here, this, this theme I have. I, I put it this way. Uh, how big is that, that? I guess I, I'll probably have to lighten that picture up a little bit. But it says, how big is your view of God's church? Right? The church is God's, isn't it? It's his body. Right? Christ's body. The fullness of him, it says. Uh, the picture I actually have is, I, I believe, it's from the city of Ephesus. And I believe that, that in the background, that's a picture of uh, one of the, the Greek temples that they had there. And if you remember anything about the city of Ephesus when Paul visited, they ran him out, and I think it was because they were chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? 
Artemis was a, a, a Greek god. Well, does anybody go around? I don't think anybody worships Artemis anymore. Do they? Maybe they do. Anybody's been to Greece? Maybe they still worship. I don't think so. I think all those Greek, you know, here they were chanting, "How great is Artemis!" But yet here we are today. He's forgotten, and who remains? Christ, right? I think that's kind of exciting. That's why that's kind of the idea behind that. But the reason why we're going to focus on it is how big is your view of God's church? Is because this is what Paul focuses on, right? So now let me let me talk about this for a second. Paul said. Christ embodied in the church and Christ's fullness in the church. Let me ask you a question. Jesus embodied in, in the fullness of Jesus. Does that sound like the churches in Danville? Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Maybe we could say it about us. I mean, Jesus embodied, right? The fullness of Jesus, the fullness of his power and his might and his glory. In the church, does that sound like the church is a Danville? I, I probably have to shake my head no. Not, I mean, not the fullness of Jesus. In fact, it, it's interesting, and I've mentioned this uh, statistic before, but right now in America, there's a lot of people that are leaving church or have already left church that still think of themselves as being very spiritual people, right? And and, and let me tie into that this other one. Uh, there's also been a lot of studies recently. There's a lot of people that would say, if you walked up to the typical American, in fact, and I think you'd probably agree with this, and said, you walked up to the typical person, you said, what do you think about Jesus? Most people say, oh, I think he's a really good person. They really like Jesus. And you say, what do you think about the church? And there's a lot of people go, eh, I don't really like church. Now, now think about think about that. I mean, really, think about that for a second. There's a lot of In fact, there's some books been written on this as well. Yeah. I love Jesus... But I don't like the church. I mean, this is this is a reality. And, and if you're not recognizing that, this isn't just me saying this. Like I said, this is. I mean, you follow in the news, you read the news of what people think about and, and religion and things like that. Right now, in America, right now, there's a lot of people. And, and I would say, just you know, get out, get outside and talk to people that aren't Christians, and you'll find this as well. A lot in America, a lot of people go, "I love Jesus, but I don't like the church." Right? Who who would say? I've, I've experienced that in people. I, I've either talked to somebody or some version of that. Experienced that a little bit, just a few of you. I, once again, I'd encourage you to start talking to some people about Jesus in the church. And I think you'd be surprised at how many people would agree with that. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't really like the church. Or, or I, I like spiritual stuff, but to actually go to church. And so something's happened in America and probably lots of places in the world where the church has this negative connotation with a lot of people, but spiritual thing. And so they, people, a lot of people think this. But yet Paul says the church is the fullness of Jesus. Was Paul wrong? Well, obviously not, right? Nobody's going to say anything. You know, obviously Paul wasn't wrong, especially as he writes in here, because Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God was inspiring Paul to write these words. And so Paul believed because of what the Spirit had told him, that there's the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ is embodied in the church. Well, that doesn't sound very much like what we think of our churches. Well, let me... Obviously, we need to deal with this a little bit. So let's go back to verse 15. And so I'm going to look at just verse 15. Some of your versions start off, wherefore, uh, that kind of means for this reason... And so that's how my version states it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And then he goes on from there. 
let's talk about some of these things a little bit. Uh, first of all, this idea of for this reason, because, or wherefore. I, I just want to make a comment about that. Paul is telling us that he's thanking God. That's what he's getting ready to say. I'm praising God. I'm thanking God for you people. You know, and, and In other words, he's saying this is the reason. This is what motivates me to remember to pray for you. right? And so that's what that for this reason, this wherefore uh, is at the beginning. He's saying these are the things. And, and the two things he mentions are your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. These are the two things he says motivates him to remember, to pray for the, these churches, right? The people in these churches. Uh, one theologian has described these, these two things as uh, a perfect summary of the characteristics of a true church. And so just so there's no confusion, one of the things I'm going to begin to look at as we go through this is if the church isn't looked at as the body of Jesus and 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 the, the fullness of the power of Christ, one of the reasons why that might be is because the church isn't being what it's supposed to be. Right? And, and so, I know that we've said here before, and I've heard other of you, others of you in this room say this, that we want to be God's kind of church. Like if Jesus showed up and we said, alright Jesus, we're gonna, we want to be your kind of church. Okay, here we are, we're Edgewood. We want to be whatever kind of church you want, Jesus. What do we need to do? And I think this is one of those passages we can look at to see what is the church supposed to be about so that it will be the fullness. It will be Jesus embodied, right? The body of Jesus. So, these two things. The faith of our Lord Jesus and our love towards all the saints. So these two things. I think these are good characteristics to look at. So let's look at these. First of all, faith in the Lord Jesus. Okay, that's a good one. I'm going to define this as a genuine trust in Christ. Okay, a genuine trust in Christ. There's been loads of different ideas and misconceptions about faith. Right now, if we're going to talk about what, it, what does it mean to be a church that has faith in the Lord Jesus, we're going to talk about what does this mean. Right? Now, you've heard me talk about this before, so I'm going to give a few things here. First of all, faith is not a feeling. Now, I've talked about this one a lot. Faith is not a feeling. In fact, I'm not really going to talk about it for very long at all, because, frankly, if you read your Bible at all, there's nothing in the Bible that would lead you to believe that faith is something that you just feel. I mean, there's no, I mean you can't read the Bible and draw that conclusion. And so I'll just leave it at that. There's nothing in the Bible that would, would try to say this. And so I don't really have to disprove it. I just have to say, read your Bibles. And the Bible, when it talks about faith, it never describes it as a feeling. Which is unfortunate because a lot of people that I talk to, they are, how, when I overhear them talking and they use the word faith, they, they, they're describing it as something that they're feeling. Right? I've got a lot of faith, and they're talking about how they're really feeling something. Right? They're really feeling that way. And a lot of us, we don't really view it that way, but we have to take these things into consideration. There's a lot of people that view faith as a feeling. Okay? Secondly, faith is not blind. Uh, faith is not something that's blind. Now, I think that the reason why a lot of people think this is because there was a, there's a place right after Jesus is resurrected where Thomas, who we always call what? Doubting Thomas, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. And, and poor guy, you know, I mean, he, faithful guy. But this one time, the disciples come to him, and he hasn't seen Jesus resurrected yet. And, and they say, he's resurrected. And Thomas says, I, unless I see the holes in his hands. And, and in fact, he, he actually says, that I need to put my hand in his side before I believe it. Right? Well, guess who shows up right about that moment? Jesus does. And he says, Thomas, would you like to do this? Now, the thing is, Jesus doesn't reprimand him for saying that, though. 
If you look at the passage, Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, you doubting Thomas. He doesn't say that, right? He just says, I'd like to show you. Here you go. And, and so from that, there's a, there's a statement Jesus makes right after this, because Thomas, he says, I don't have to touch it. I believe it right now. I see you, right? And, and, and Jesus tells Thomas, he says, you know, blessed are you because you've seen and believed. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And so from that, we kind of get this idea that maybe faith is a blind... Well, what about all those other, other people? Did they not have real faith that actually saw Jesus? No, they did. And, and, and really all Jesus is saying is, you, you actually got to see me physically right here. Blessed are you because you've seen and believed. But blessed are those people that come later, specifically us... We have not seen the physical Jesus, have we? Have we seen the physical Christ? No. And yet we still believe in him. And so Jesus is just referring to those people that would come later that wouldn't get a chance to see the actual physical Jesus, but would still believe in him. But that does not mean that faith is presented as something that you just, well, I don't know, I'm just going to believe it. The Bible actually teaches something quite different. The Bible teaches all the time to investigate. And there's times when, and when God actually comes to prophets and says, reason together with me. And, and there's a lot of emphasis on faith about believing, which means I'm going to say this next statement. Faith is belief. In the Greek language, when you see, well, actually in our Bibles, when you see the word faith and you see the word believe, in the original, it's the same word. It's just a different form of the word. Faith, when, when the word is translated as faith, it's in the version of a noun. It's translated as believe. It's in a verb. I'm going to believe this. I have faith, right? And so there's different versions of that same word. Faith is the noun. Believe is the verb. In the English language, we have a word that's kind of like that, the word trust, right? I can say trust like a verb. I can say I trust you, right? But can't I also say I have trust, Right? I'm using it as something that I have, like you can have something. Faith is kind of like that in, in that same sense. Believing and trusting and having faith are very similar. So I have to put this next one up here. Uh, I've heard uh, uh, one Greek scholar, uh, when teaching on this particular word, he said, uh, a great translation of this word that we translate faith, and we trans- translate believe, another great translation of it is trust. It's about trust. Right? Your faith is your trust. And so you might ask the question, where does your confidence lie? Or, or where do you put all of your stock? Or I like to think about it this way. What basket have you put all of your eggs in? Have you heard that statement, put all your eggs in one basket? Well, having faith in Jesus is like saying, I'm putting all my eggs, all my confidence in this. Right? This means that everybody, I think I'll put this up here, everybody in this room has a faith. Okay? Now, it's not like some people have faith and some people don't. Everybody has faith because the word faith is kind of like, you might call it a belief system, right? What you actually believe is your faith. So everybody has a faith, right? You can't, and, and faith can't be faked or, or, or made up. Faith is what you really believe in and what you really trust in. Okay, so frankly, you can understand your faith by what you're doing, what you actually do. For example, people, people, frankly, people only do those things that they believe in those things. For example, when I watch TV, I believe that the TV will bring me some level of enjoyment. I don't watch it because I think it's going to make me miserable, right? Or how about eating food? I, I eat food. Like when I'm hungry, I eat food because I'm hungry if I, or if, if I think something's going to taste good. But I, I do according to what I believe. Like, you know, I believe the way to solve my hunger problem is to eat food. Right? 
That's my faith when it comes to food. I believe it's going to solve my hunger issue. Or going to work. Most of us, I would say, go to work because we believe something. We believe that after a week or two weeks, what are they going to give us? I hope you guys know. Yes, check, right? Some money. Right? They're going to say, here you go. And, and that's probably why we go there. We don't go there just because we just like going there for the most part. I mean, I, I kind of like being a school teacher, but frankly, if they weren't paying me, I wouldn't go. Right? I mean, I would not be there all week. It's miserable sometimes, but I go there because I believe that this is going, this is a way for me to pay the bills. Right? And so I go to church for that, or I go to school for that purpose, to, to pay the bills. And I, that's my job. But see, we do what we believe. That's what we do. And so some people do things, weird things, that don't make sense to a lot of people. Like we, we pick up a really old book and we read it. It's called the Bible. Why, why do we do that? Why do people do that? Because they believe something about this book. They, I believe this is God's word, and so I, I read it. Or like today, you guys came to church. Some people would see this as weird. I mean, you could go and listen to some guy talk to you, and that doesn't make any sense. Why do we do these things? There's some reason why we do it. You believe something about this experience. I I hope that most of you come here because you believe this is what God wants you to do. Right? Uh, When you get in a really tough time, this is when our faith really shows itself clearly. Get in a really tough time. How you respond is, is how what your faith is. See, some people, they go into panic mode or fix it mode. Why? Because they believe that's the right response and that's what they need to do to to solve the problem. Some people do this really weird thing. They don't do anything at all and they go try to find a place where no people are and if they can, they get down on their knees and they start talking to somebody that they can't see. Why would people do that? Because they believe in God and they believe that the right way to handle problems is to go to Him and tell Him about it. And talk to him about it. See, faith in Jesus, when we talk about faith in Jesus Christ, we're not talking about a feeling or just uh, something, yeah, I believe in Jesus. We're talking about faith in Jesus Christ means this is what I really believe. This is how I view the world. I view the world that there's a Jesus, that he was sent from God, that God is involved in mankind. There's all different facets of this. But that's what faith really is, to really believe. And everybody has a faith. Sometimes you have to ask yourself, let's say, for example, you don't read your Bible. You know why you don't? Because that's not part of your faith. Yeah, but it is part of my faith. I believe in Jesus. But if you really believe that this is God's Word, then you would be reading it. If you really believe that there was a benefit in here, you would be reading it. Anything else you believe there's a benefit to? If I called you up and I said, hey, if you show up down at a you know, county market today, you're giving away a free cart of groceries to the first 50 people that show up. Well, if you needed groceries and you knew you were going to be one of the first 50 people, you'd probably go, right? If I said, hey, if you go down to the bank, they're handing out $100 bills. <laughs> All right, I'm there. Why would you do that? Why would you drop everything and go there? Because you believe there's a benefit from that. And so the reason why you don't read your Bible is because no matter what you can say with your mouth, somewhere inside, you don't really believe there's a benefit to it. Because if you did believe there's a benefit to it, you'd be doing it, right? See, faith can't be fake. Now, the Bible does talk about the fact that we can be deceived within ourselves. We can say that we believe something and not really believe it. I mean, that, that's a possibility. But faith, genuine faith, cannot be faked. And Paul says, he says, I, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. 
Notice this next thing here is love toward all the saints, right? A love toward all the saints. Uh, I'm going to define this as a genuine love of the church. Now, the reason why I say that is because, I mean, there's plenty of places in the Bible. And we we could talk about this all day. We could talk about the fact that the Bible talks about loving your neighbor and loving sinners. and love. I mean, the Bible is full of things like that. Loving the people of the world and getting out there. But specifically right here, Paul says, love toward all the saints. Now that word saint, 61 times in the New Testament, this word that's translated saint, 61 times it's translated saint or saints. 161 times that same word, because of the context, is translated holy. Right? Holy. But what's that mean? The the word holy, the word saint, is all rooted in the same word. It's also the word sanctify. It means to set apart. Right? Do you you ever set something apart for special use? Right? Maybe it's the fine china. You know, your kid's got to grab a plate out of the fine china cabinet and they're going to eat their Pop-Tarts on it. And you're like, whoa, what are you doing? That's not for Pop-Tarts. Right? That's set apart. That's for special meals. And your kids are like, yeah, whatever. you know. But that's the idea. Set apart means it's set apart for some special purpose. In the Bible, we are, God is ultimately set apart. And when we're called to be set apart, it means we're called to be like Him and that we're doing what He wants to do. And so all the people in the world, there are some people that God has set apart for special purposes. He calls them his saints. We could also call them Christians. They're people that have been set apart for a special purpose. God's got something set apart for them. And that's what this word literally means. Saints were set apart. Notice it says, love toward all the saints. Right? In other words, all sorts. That word all is all sorts or all kinds of believers. And notice this idea of love. Not for the building, not for the experience of church, but specifically, Paul says, a love toward all the saints, all the believers. You know, even though, frankly, I could go to the Bible and I could pull out a passage from Hebrews that that teaches that you should not forsake assembling together. Anybody heard that verse before? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But if you ever try to talk to them about going to church, a lot of times like do I really have to? And, and that's, other than that, that's pretty much the one place that specifically says it. But there's not a lot of other places that talk about that. And some people wonder, why, why didn't God say that more? Like, go to church, you know? Why isn't that in there more often? The simple answer to that is because it wasn't necessary. Simply because what is taught in the Bible is loving your brothers, loving those people that are part of the faith. I mean, we're definitely called to love people in the world and we're called to love people who are sinners and people that don't know Jesus. We're called to love them and love our neighbors ourselves. But over and over again in the New Testament, it starts talking about the church and it starts talking about other believers. It says to love those other believers. It's talking about an affection towards those people, but also action. I mean, when we use this word love right here, it's it's an affection, but it's also an action. Right? Uh, We're called to love these people. It's a genuine affection. Well... You know, so many times I, I, I've spent time around people, you know, out in the world. Like I go to work and I ride the bus, you know, with those people. And, and, and there, there's a lot of people and I, I can love those people. But you know what? 
there's something unique and something special that I long for when it comes to spending time around people who think the same way that I do. Do you know what I mean? I mean, all of us together, there's a certain, we have a shared view of the world. We believe that there's a God. We believe He's in control of this universe. We believe that nothing is just in chaos, but actually God stands supreme. We believe that our one hope is Jesus. And we, we share that together. We go out in the world and we, we meet people and they, they don't quite see it the same way. They, yeah, I might believe in... You might meet a lot of people that say, yeah, I believe that Jesus existed. But, I mean, there's something unique about when you meet somebody and they have the same view that, man, Jesus is my one hope. See, it wasn't necessary for the Bible writers to constantly be saying, go to church, because that was a natural response to loving your brothers is wanting to be around your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's, a, it's an urge, it's a desire that I have to be around those people that believe the same way I do. Notice that right between these two things, faith and, and love, right between these two things, we have the word, I think I have it up there, and. Faith in Jesus and. I, love, I, I want to skip over that word. I, I, I really believe that those two things need to go hand in hand. Right? Hand in hand. Um. Let me go back here in my notes. I skipped one little part here. There we go. It, this is why I, I included that idea of being genuine, genuine faith, genuine love towards the brothers. There's a lot of people that may consider themselves Christians that has had one or the other. Many have had what they might call a faith in Christ, or so they thought, but a lot of times it's just a simple moralism. They call it a faith in Jesus, but really they're just... Seeking to be a good person, right? Good person. Yeah, I, I, I have this belief that he exists. But without a love for the saints, at some point you've got to start questioning that faith. So you don't have to hear me say it. I'm going to read from 1 John 4.20. If you want to write that down, you can look it up later. 1 John 4.20. Let, let, I'll let John say it. He says it a little bit more powerful than I might be willing to say it. John writes this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's 1 John 4.20. I mean, honestly, at some point, if you've got somebody that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they don't go to church, they don't want to be a part around it and be a part of a body of believers, at some point you've got to go, there's something wrong with this picture. I mean, John, like I just read from 1 John 4.20, I mean, that paints it even more powerful than I'm willing to say it on my own. I mean, John says, if man says he loves God, but he doesn't love his brother, he's a liar. Ouch, John. But that's what it says. I mean, there's something really... And if you stop and you take a step back and you you, you get over like, wow, I, I haven't heard that before moment, and you really start thinking about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And John even explains it. He says... How can you say you love God whom you've not seen when, you, when here your brother's right in front of you you don't love him? How, you know, that doesn't even make sense, John says. How can, how can that be? That doesn't, that doesn't work. And so it's got to be both. Love towards, you know, faith in Jesus and a love for the saints. All sorts of believers. I think that there's also been the other side of it. There's been a lot of people who have a love for the saints, so to speak. They love being around Christians. 
They love Christian people, good Christian folk. They love that. But it kind of ends there. I mean, yeah, they like to go to church. They like to be around other believers. They like that part. But it ends there. When they get out on their own, there's no genuine faith. How they actually handle the world isn't a way that someone would handle the world that believes in a Jesus. They don't do things like read their Bibles and they don't pray and they don't seek after God daily. They're not concerned about those things. I mean, there's something as well wrong with that view. If you find that you lean one way or the other and not holding on to both a faith in Jesus and a love toward all the brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to pray to God to say, Lord, heal me of this hypocrisy. Heal me of this sway that I have. I believe that God can do that. Finally, I want to mention this last word is the word heard. It's back at the beginning of the verse. I don't think I can skip this word. Paul has said that he has heard of their faith and love. Now, he's writing this from a distance away. He says, I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of your love towards all the believers. Now, he has obviously been to Ephesus. He's most likely been to any of the churches that this letter was written to. Uh, besides Ephesus, we, we believe that this letter wasn't just Ephesus. It was probably to several churches. That's why it's not very personal. But here Paul is saying, I've heard this area that you guys are in. I have heard about your faith. I've heard about your love for the brothers. I mean, we might call this a faith and a love that are being lived out in such a way. I mean, when I got to this part, I was thinking through this, I thought, well, how can anybody hear about your faith? Hearing about your love, I can kind of see that, right? Because love can be easily demonstrated. But how does somebody hear about your faith? I mean, and let me throw this in here because we're about ready to wrap it up. If we want to be God's kind of church, if we want to say, okay, here we are, a group of believers. We don't have a lot of our extended visitors today going... But here we are, this group. If we want to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, then we would want an Apostle Paul to be able to say this about us. I heard about your faith. I heard about your love towards all the believers. Well, how would that happen? Like I said, the, the, the hearing about the love might be simple. Somebody might hear about our love. I mean, I, I, I believe that that gift, that Christmas gift that we're giving came from a heart of love for other believers, right? I mean, we, we love the Perez's. We love the fact that they're in missions. Even if we don't know them personally, we just love believers. And so it, it stirred up within us. Let's, let's find ways to be giving. And so somebody might hear about it. So I can see that one pretty clearly. But then I started thinking about the other side of it. How can somebody hear about our faith? Let me give you just a couple possibilities, okay? Can I just give you a couple ideas to take with you into this new year? of how someone might be able to hear about our faith. One of them is this, and this, once again, this is so simplistic, but I really want you to think about it. Be the kind of person that reads your Bible so much that you begin to speak Bible. I'm reading a book right now called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. Uh, There's a writer named... Uh, D.A. Carson, Don Carson, and, and he writes several. And he, he's a very well-known speaker in the Christian world. He, he does a lot of things. And, but he, he wrote a, a book about his dad. His dad was a pastor. And his, his dad never preached to more than probably 50 people at once. But his dad was a very faithful man. And one of the things that he, in, in writing about his dad, one of the things he, he talked about was that his dad would just... God's Word would just come out of him all the time because he was always in the Word. 
And so I want to encourage you this year to be the kind of person that reads the Bible so much that the Bible just starts to... It just becomes part of your vocabulary. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this. I've mentioned this before, so I won't talk about it for more than a second. But I know we've talked about how so much of our English language has been affected by the Bible. A lot of our sayings, a lot of our words came from the Bible. One of the reasons for that is because our ancestors, our American heritage, was people who read the Bible. They studied the Bible. P- kids in kindergarten would go. In fact, the whole point of education in America for the longest time was so that people could read the Bible. That's why they wanted to be able to read it, so they could read the Bible. Right? God has given you the ability to read so that you can read His Word. Be the kind of person this year. Set set yourself up. I don't think there's anything wrong with making New Year's resolutions. Uh, So many times we make them and they, they fail. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, okay, this is something I definitely need to change. This is something I definitely need to do better on. No matter how many times I mess up on this, I'm going to start it back up, get back going. One of those things is becoming the kind of person that reads your Bible daily. It's God's Word. And if you really believe it's God's Word, then you would be reading it. And so maybe in order to become the kind of person who reads God's Word, you need to start praying, Lord, Make me the kind of person that really believes that this is valuable. I, I read it and I feel like I've wasted ten minutes. Or I read it and I feel like I've gained some holiness. That's not right either. You read it because it's God's Word and you want to know what God has to tell you. Become the kind of person this year to read your Bible. Secondly, pray. Start to be such a person of prayer that people start to think about you as the kind of person who prays. I've been so convicted on this issue. For years I've been convicted about this, and I keep looking at ways to do better and do better, and I, I, I fall short so often, but I, I'm ne- I don't want to ever stop seeking to do better at this. And nearly every man of God that you ever read about, if you read about, read about a man of God, read about his life, the people will always say, you would often find this man off on his own praying. If I didn't know where Dad was, he'd be... If I didn't know where you know this person, I'd be praying. He'd be he'd be off praying somewhere. I mean, without exception. I, I mean, any person that's made any kind of impact in this world for for Christ's sake, you, you just find over and over again they're people of prayer, people that pray. Now, if you find that you don't turn to that option very often, maybe the reason is you don't really believe it's helpful. Maybe you think worrying about it is helpful. Well, I know that's not helpful, but that's what I do. Well, then you think that's beneficial in some way, or you wouldn't do it. Be the kind of person that prays. And maybe you could start by saying, Lord, make me into the kind of person that prays. Make a list and pray through it. Find a time that you can do that. Um, Third thing and the last thing. Come to church so often that people start to think that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You just love going to church, don't you? I mean, that's what you want to hear people say. You know, hey, we're going off to do this great... Oh, man, but I'm going to miss church if I do that. I, I can't tell you... I'm, I'm going to be open and honest with you. Uh, God has obviously worked in my heart in this, these last few years because I don't have a choice. I've got to be here, right? And so, but God has done a work in my heart in this issue because there was times 
in, in my life, in my younger, younger days as a Christian, that if something came up, hey, do you want to go do this? Well, I have to miss church, but, you know, missing once, it's not a big deal. And it didn't seem like that, man, God is in a work in my heart in this issue. But I can't tell you how, how much I've recognized that people that are my age, in their 30s and their 40s, there's so few people that are my age that are dedicated to being a part of a body of believers. So few. So many of the friends that I have, they, they go to church and they consider themselves parts of church. But if anything comes up, oh, that's okay, I can, you know, but it's on Sunday. I, I can remember times as a, as a youth where, man, to miss church? Nope. That was not going to happen. And sometimes we can do that for wrong reasons. If, if you're going to church because you think it makes you more righteous and you think God is more pleased with you if you go to church... That's, that's wrong because you're trying to take some of Christ's glory. All of our righteousness is Jesus. But there's something special about saying, well, I don't want to miss church. I don't want to miss. I, I want to be around my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to miss every opportunity I get to be around my, my other brothers and sisters. I don't want to miss that. And we can begin to do that in such a way that other people that know us start to think about us that way. So that maybe it might be heard. And someone might be able to say, I heard about their faith. I heard about their love towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. I heard about their love towards all the saints. I heard about that. And that's what Paul says. If we're going to be God's kind of church, we need to demonstrate a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. We need to demonstrate a genuine love for the church. And we need to continue to grow in these characteristics if we want to be known as God's kind of church. Now, one last thing I have before I let you guys go. If you're interested in the Bible reading aspect, there's a lot of different Bible reading plans that you can do, but the beginning of the year is a great time to say, I'm going to try something new. And I brought two of them with me today. And if you're interested in having one of these, I can run off some copies before you go. Um, one of them is just a basic Bible reading plan. It's very small, so we can blow it up for you, but it's meant to be folded, and we can make it front and back and things like that for you if you're interested in this one. I like this one because it has a little check. So you can say, okay, I read this one, I read this one. And you can Each one that you read, you can check off, and it has all the days, January 1st, this is what you'd read. In this plan, you're able to get through the New Testament twice, and Psalms twice, I believe. And, and But then the Old Testament you go through once. If you start January 1st, today, and you end December 31st, you'll get through the whole Bible this year. And so if you're interested in this one, this other one is the one I'm going to try this year. Um, this is from a guy named uh, McChain. McChain? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. The, uh, McChain only lived to be in his late 20s, I believe. He died before he reached the age of 30, but he had a huge impact. And if you ever want to know about him, he's a very influential, wrote several things, and has influenced several people. But his reading plan that he had includes, there's four passages each day that you're going to read. Um, Two of them are to be read with family, and two of them are to be read just privately on your own. And so this is the one I'm going to attempt this year. Uh, I want to read the Bible more with my family and make sure that's something that's happening every day. And this is another good one. Uh, But the key to doing any of these is, uh, you'll find, and I've found over and over again, if you try to read the Bible through in a year, a lot of times what's going to happen is this. 
you're going you're gonna to come up to a Saturday and you're going to miss because it's, it takes a significant portion of time to read through those passages. And you're going to not be able to get through the whole thing that day and you start to get behind uh, every once in a while. If just once or twice a month you have a day where you can't get through the whole thing. And so sometimes it can be daunting, but there's a, a verse in Proverbs that always encourages me. It says, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Right? And so if you, if you decide, you say, I'm going to try to do a, a Bible reading program, try to get through the Bible. I've never read through the whole Bible, and so I'm going to try to do that. If, that. if that's you, I'd like to give you, I'd like to make some copies for you and get you started on one of these to try to read through the Bible this year. Uh, if you say, that sounds like a lot, I don't know if I could do that. Well, we, I think we all know that's probably not entirely true. We all probably have an extra 30 minutes a day that we could devote to reading our Bibles. But sometimes that can be kind of daunting. There's other options. Just make a decision to say, I'm going to become a person who reads my Bible. And then pray that God will help you to be that way. God will change you into that kind of person. Okay? But if you're interested in these, after the service is over, I'm going to dismiss you. I'd be willing to run back to the copy machine and make some. I just made one copy of each just because I didn't know if anybody would be interested. Maybe you already have a plan that you're going through. But uh, these are two that I wanted to offer to you. So let's pray. Father, Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the beginning of this new year. And Lord, I just pray that this would be a year that you would really stir up within our hearts to be more of the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people that Paul writes about in Ephesians, that, that we would be the kind of people that would, people would hear about our faith and hear about our love towards all the saints. God, I pray that you'd work in us whatever needs to change. Lord, I know none of us have arrived yet to where we need to be. And so, Lord, I know we all have room to grow and to change. And so, Father, I just pray that you would do that in us this year. Lord, I just pray that if this is our last year, Lord, if this is the year that you come back, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live that way. Help us, Lord, to live that maybe even today you might return. Lord, we want to be ready to see you face to face. And Lord, we don't want to be ashamed of how we've lived. Lord, we want to be able to stand before you unashamed. Lord, I pray ultimately hoping in Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.